بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على محمد وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين وي كونتينيو ناو فروم بلوغ المرام بلوغ المرام شابتر بيوريفيكيشن كتاب الطهاره ذا بوك اوف بيوريفيكيشن ذا حديث اوف ابي هريره قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا يغتسل احدكم في الماء الدائم وهو جنب من اوف يو شود تيك باث ان ستاجنانت ووتر وين هي از سكشوالي امبيور This is the statement by Muslim. And then the statement by Al-Bukhari. لَا يَبُولَنَّ أَحَدُكُمْ فِي الْمَاءِ الدَّائِمِ الَّذِي لَا يَجْرِي ثُمَّ يَغْتَسِلُ فِيهِ None of you should urinate in stagnant water that is not flowing and then take a bath in it. And a version of it from Muslim instead of taking a bath in it, take from it. Meaning take water from it. And Abu Dawood وَلَا يَغْتَسِلْ فِيهِ مِنَ الْجَنَابَةِ One should not take bath in it from sexual impurity. We have covered the first part. None of you should take bath in stagnant water when he is sexually impure. Now we move to the statement by Al-Bukhari. None of you should urinate, urinate in stagnant water that is not flowing and take bath in it. So when he said stagnant water, he interpreted it in the hadith by saying الذي لا يجري, meaning not flowing. ثم يغتسل فيه, take a bath in it. The people of hadith have mentioned that this statement was reported in three versions, in three versions. And this is very important. We are talking about the last statement, ثُمَّ يَغْتَسِلْ فِيهِ Take a bath in it. This came in three forms, grammatical forms, in three versions. First is on الرَّفَعِ which means pronunciation of the final consonant of a word with U. And the second by النصب meaning putting a noun in the accusative or a verb in the subjunctive. Or الجزم the third version, to pronounce the final consonant of a word without a vowel, or to put the verb into the imperative form. So, let's take how would we understand this from the grammar to the meaning. So, if we read the last statement in Al-Bukhari, ثُمَّ يَغْتَسِلْ by way of jazm, which is pronouncing the final consonant without a vowel and this form is in the imperative now then it will be in this respect in conjugation with the word la yabulanna yabulanna urinating and what will the meaning be? the meaning will be none of you should urinate in stagnant water and none should take a bath in it this is the first Version. A man should take a bath in it. This is the version of jazm. So, in this respect, the hadith will comprise two independent meanings. First of all, forbidding urinating in it. The second, forbidding the taking a bath in the stagnant water that is not flowing.
So this is the first version. The second version. If we take it, if we take the last statement, ثم يغتسل فيه, take a bath in it. If we take on the second version, which is the grammatical النصب, putting a noun in the accusative or a firm in the subjunctive, then in this case the meaning would be لا يجمع بين البول والاغتسال. He shouldn't combine both actions, urinating and bathing in it. Both are prohibited. He should not do this to them both. So while urinating, you, he goes and takes a bath in this. So this is the second version. The third version. The version, the grammatical version of Arrafa, which is pronunciation of the final consonant of a word, with U. In this case, the, the forbidden, the, forbid, the forbidding, will be in one matter, which is the urination. And the bathing, يغتسل, it means then, he should not first urinate, and then go and bath in it. And in this case, it would mean that this is something despicable. For a person to urinate in a water, then afterwards go and take a bath in it. And this is contradicts the fitrah, contradicts the natural you know, the nature itself. It is such because the water either is going to be rendered impure by the urination or yourself will dislike it and get disgusted. So how come you go and urinate in something and then you go and take a bath in it? So this will be the third meaning. So if we render the hadith of Al-Bukhari on the first original reporting which is which is ثم يغتسل فيه then we can deduce that the hadith forbids two matters first urinating in the water that is stagnant not flowing because if he urinates in it then you know the self will dislike it and also because if the water is not much, then it may be rendered impure by the urine. Secondly, that he should not urinate, he should not take a bath in the stagnant water. And the apparent meaning is that he shouldn't take this whether he is in a sexual defilement state or for the sake of purity. Both are included. Meaning the prohibition is general. However, in some wording of the hadith, there was a restriction concerning Al-Janaba as came in Abi Dawood as we will see later and as reported earlier in Muslim when he said when he is sexually impure the fact however it covers both sexual impurity and for any, for any reason of cleaning or otherwise he should not bath in that water Another word that came from Muslim, instead of taking a bath in it, taking the word came from it. So the first was in, and the second in the other reporting is, take water from it. And both are therefore forbidden. 
And the narration by Abi Dawood is one should not take bath in it from sexual impurity. This is in agreement in this, for the statement of Bukhari, but it restricts it for sexual impurity. From the benefits of this hadith, are, the benefits of this hadith are as follows. Al-Shari'a al-Islamiyya, Islamic decrees and laws, brought cleanliness and instructions to keep away from filth and impurities. And from this is the forbiddance to take bath in the stagnant water, whether this bath will change the water or not. Because if it doesn't change it in the first time, it may change it in the second time, and the third or fourth. The second benefit, it's not permissible for the person to take a bath in the stagnant water while in a state of sexual defilement. Based on the based on the established ruling that the forbiddance is for tahrim, meaning render it unlawful. Some of the scholars are with the opinion that this forbiddance, the introduction here is only for karaha, meaning that it is disliked. So, if in accordance with the first opinion that the forbiddance is for tahrim, that it is unlawful, then comes the question, if he takes a bath there from sexual defilement, would it lift his state of sexual defilement or not? According to the, if we take by the opinion of forbiddance, due to it being unlawful, then his bathing there is not, does not befit him in terms of lifting the janaba, the sexual impurity. On the other saying, however, according to the other saying, however, that if the forbiddance is for karaha, for being disliked, therefore if he takes a bath in this, in this case, then it will lift his state of sexual defilement. Because he didn't conclude anything unlawful. In, instead he did something makruh, disliked. And the disliked matter is, there is no sin for that. The third benefit, the permissibility to take a bath to cool off and for cleaning. In this stagnant water, okay, and uh, I would like you to here to be patient so that the matter be clarified in a short while. And the evidence is, when he said, while he is in a state of impurity, in a state of sexual impurity. However, this may be opposed that the restriction by mentioning the sexual impurity is because man needs to take a bath and so if he is forbidden to bath in the stagnant water while he is in need being in a state of sexual defilement then 
forbidding to take a bath for cooling off or cleaning which is not a necessitated matter is by all means takes precedence and therefore we say that this restriction of sexual impurity although it may indicate the permissibility to bath it bath in a state of other than that meaning not being in a state of sexual defilement however it is to be said that taking a bath for other than sexual defilement by all means is to be forbidden and this is supported by the general statement which is reported by Al-Bukhari then he takes a bath in it and this is really close to the evidence that it is to be forbidden to take the bath in the stagnant water from either from due to a state of sexual impurity or otherwise from this also we know that it is permissible to take a bath in the flowing water whether due to sexual impurity or otherwise and there is no forbidden the narration by al-Bukhari none of you should urinate in stagnant water is evidence for that this matter is forbidden unlawful to urinate in the stagnant water that doesn't flow and from this it is concluded that it is permissible to urinate in the water that is flowing however with the condition that it does not make it impure for others so take for example if this water is flowing and comes to be used by people who are downstream making wudu or the like therefore it is not permissible for him to urinate in it even if though it's, it's flowing and the evidence for this is not from the hadith the evidence is based on the general ruling of not harming the Muslims harming the Muslims is impermissible also from the evidence from the points of benefit is the forbidden to bath in the stagnant water generally whether because of sexual impurity or not also prohibiting, prohibiting the urination then taking a bath in it to urinate and then go and take a bath of it because we have now come to know that it is forbidden to urinate and it is forbidden to take a bath and therefore it is forbidden to combine them together by all means this takes precedence and if you really contemplate on the apparent meaning of the hadith you will find it really fitting to this picture to this situation which is to urinate then go and take a bath in it also it is not permissible for him for any person to urinate in the water then take water from that 
to take a bath from it or to take it to use it for a bath take from it this is in accordance of the narration reported by Muslim the difference from in and from to take from it or to bath in it either way it's not permissible so in summary this hadith and its wordings give us the following number one a person shall not urinate in the stagnant water that is not flowing irregardless of his situation whether he is in a state of purity or impurity sexually except there is an exception if we exclude the rivers and the like this is in agreement permissible also if we take the lakes or the seas where the urination does not really affect it then there is no harm in that there is no harm, why? because the addressing of the Prophet ﷺ was directed towards the thing which is accustomed to and in Medina there are no rivers and no seas also the second point of benefit and the, from the summary is that he shall not urinate in it and then take from it to bath himself in, to bath himself because this is the slight or go and urinate and then go after this and dip himself in it or take from it to wash himself this is disliked and it's against the nature of the person so this is the alhamdulillah this is the end of this hadith and inshallah tomorrow we're going to go and discuss hadith number 6 hadith number 6 states that a man and this man is one of the sahaba and we will talk about that who accompanied the prophet ﷺ, narrated Allah's messenger forbade a woman to bathe with the water left over by a man and that a man should not bathe with the water left over by a woman and instead they should both take scoopfuls of the water together and we will take it with hadith Maymuna because both of them are interrelated the next hadith which is hadith 7 and hadith 7 which is narrated by Ibn Abbas the Prophet ﷺ used to bath with the water left over by Maymuna Muslim reported it and the compilers of the Prophet's sayings reported that one of the wives of the Prophet ﷺ took bath from a vessel then came to the Prophet ﷺ and when he wanted to take bath from that vessel she said I was sexually impure he said water does not become sexually impure inshallah both of these inshallah will be discussed tomorrow wallahu ta'ala ala wa a'lam wa sallallahu ala muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam